Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I am today with Nathan, as always, because nothing changes. Oh. How are you doing, Nathan? <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, just okay, fine. I'm doing great things. too. If we're gonna play that game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I'm doing great plus one. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. let you have that one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, thing, things are good. Just, you know, trying to do better life a little bit every day. Wow. It's a recursive process. It is. There's just no exit condition. <laughs> well, there is eventually. One day, one day I'll reach my call stack and then exception will be thrown. The end. The end. So on that depressing <laughs> note... <laughs> Any cool, sad, awesome, or wholesome thing right. that happened to you this all right, week? All right, so I do it. I do have something wholesome to go right down. Oh, so this was something that was good. It started sad, and then it became not sad, and it became fun. Wow. So I last Friday, I was very sad because I had been trying to make plans all week, and uh, no plans were made. By Friday at 4 p.m., I just started messaging everybody I knew in my phone, and. Uh, Nobody was getting back to me. And then, just when I thought all hope was lost, one of my friends got back to me and was like, yeah, we're having a housewarming party because she just bought a house. Do you want to come? So then I showed up and got to meet some new people and ate a bunch of cheese. So it was a good time. Uh, wow. So that, yeah, that was a nice, a nice turn of events. Um, that used to be one of my favorite things. When I would come home, thought I had no plans, would be all bummed out about it, and then my friends would tell me that, no, in fact, there is something that we're doing. But that doesn't happen anymore. So the fact that this happened was very exciting. Uh, but the wholesome thing, this is, this is the most anti-GAN recommendation possible. <clears throat> so Nathan's wholesome recommendation of the week. This is a YouTube video from a channel called Rebecca Vocal Athlete. And it is Rebecca reacting to Brendan Urie, reacting to her reaction of his singing. And it sounds like a mess, mm -hmm. but I've watched this video at least five or six times. I'll just pull it up and just, just put it on, sometimes even just in the background if I'm having a bad day. I'll just put on this video in the background. I don't even remember how I came across this video. Uh, originally because I hadn't watched any for other content and then my first video I saw from her was a reaction to a reaction to a reaction to his singing and it's so good it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy because she's so pleased that he's seen her video and he's all nervous the whole time about her because she's a vocal coach she, he's all nervous the whole time that she's gonna say something about his singing that's not very good it's just, it's just it's just nice. So yeah, I'll be putting that in the description as my wholesome recommendation for the week and uh, right. fully anticipate that you will not watch it. <laughs> I, you know what, maybe I'll give it a shot if it like fills your life with such joy. Uh, Cause the only reaction video I approve of so far is from Bo Burnham's special where he's <laughs> reacting to his own video <laughs> of reacting to things. Right, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. All right. Okay. Okay. What else? What else happened? That was literally it. Oh, nice. Yeah. So overall, pretty pretty wholesome week. 
Super wholesome, yeah. 100% of the things I mentioned were wholesome. So, therefore, yeah. wholesome week. What about you? You heard it here first, folks. Um, <laughs> well, I have some non-wholesome things to share then. Perfect, yeah. Um, top of the list is Slack Huddles. <laughs> it's, it's, it has brought back tap on the shoulder, but in a more annoying way. Um, so as some, I may have shared it before, uh, I like using Slack as, a as a tool that I check, I want to poll it every once in a while. And if I get the information I need, cool. If not, I keep doing my focus work, uh, thanks to huddles and other handy features. Now I have to work on it on a more webhook based system where I, wait for it to ping me and I have to pay attention for when it pings me. So now out of my screen real estate, a huge portion just goes to Slack now because I have to keep an eye on it and I can't minimize it because I keep my dock closed. Um, yeah, so now it's a lot of work and people will randomly start a huddle with you at any point. At least when they did on Zoom or Chime, you would get a little notification. On huddle, it just says, they want to start a huddle with you with a little pop-up toast bar and if not, they send you DMs being like, why aren't you on the huddle? So now I have to constantly be online on Slack, which I get is sort of the point of Slack, but I don't want it. This is not how I use it. <laughs> In a society where everybody expects quick responses to how they're, they want information, I don't behave that way. I'm a very asynchronous person. Send, send it to me, and then within three to five business days, I'll get to <laughs> it on my personal ledger. You know? Yep. <laughs> yeah, so... So the irony is that it's a, a well-implemented feature that ruins your life. Exactly, yeah. It's done really well. Like, the voice is not an issue. The screen share works. You can do little markings if it's a one-on-one -on -one screen share. And, yeah, it's very instant, very nice. I just hate it. I, it just It has made my life worse. <laughs> Maybe my productivity better, I suppose, in some sense, because now I'm forced to work or look at things, but it's, yeah, it's ruining some of my focus time and I'm not a huge fan of that. So now if I don't want to do it, I just quit Slack for the times I don't want any disturbances. And then if somebody sends me a message, my phone will pop up saying, all right, there's a message DM. Um, so I guess less slightly still okay way, uh, it's just it now marks me as offline. So people are like, are you not working? And I'm like, I am. That's exactly why I'm offline on Slack. <laughs> <laughs> Let me work. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, one of my coworkers a few weeks ago, he forgot to remove his on vacation message, on like status on Slack. And he showed up in one of the afternoon meetings. And they're like, everybody went, oh, I, I thought you were away. He goes, why, why would you think that? Because he didn't even notice. And then he, he realized, that's why nobody was messaging me and I got so much done. What are, this is great. I should do this more often. So I get it. The whole being visible on Slack can often be a hindrance to the productivity, uh, not an improvement. Yeah, because at least when you're in the office, uh, if somebody comes over to your desk, you can still just like show them a little fingers. But like just a sec, if you're in the middle of something or... I don't know, if you look angry enough, they might not even walk over to your desk. Yeah, it's never happened to me. <laughs> Geo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I used to come over to your desk all the time. 
uh, didn't I? You you worked directly across from me. You just le That's leaned true, past so your monitor. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> it works. Um, yeah, and so now now I have two wholesome things. That, okay. Or good things. All right, great. Let's hear them. Yeah, just just needed to get that out of the way. I have an ongoing thing about how much I hate Ruby, but I'll get to it later because I did some more Ruby thing today and I just hated it. It's it's just not good. <laughs> um, but I I did kayaking. Um, I think this is my second time kayaking, uh, which was kind of cool. Took a little tour of the whole Granville Island and Vancouver sightings. Uh, and the whole point of everything the tour guide said could be summarized with this area used to be really shitty, but we made it better. Oh. Or the government made it better mm. with our tax money. Right. Um, but yeah, it was just uh, it was just nice because I have a deathly fear of water. True. And one of my coworkers actually like tipped over their kayak and fell in the water. Good thing he knew how to swim, but that terrified me to no end just looking at him so I'm very happy I didn't fall um, before you go on eh. mm -hmm. it's interesting that you say you went kayaking because that's what I was supposed to do this past Sunday uh, Sunday morning I had a kayaking tour booked first time I've ever gone kayaking so I was looking forward to it but it was cancelled due to high winds so I didn't get to go mm. so it's supposed to be this coming Sunday we'll see if it happens but I wanted to mention it now because if I don't, it's just going to look like I copied you next week when I'm like, oh, I went kayaking for the first time. Well, let's just say it doesn't look like that now. Yeah, I suppose. There's no <laughs> way to prove it. So It got suspiciously canceled. So convenient, barely an inconvenience. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, but that's cool because I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Uh, I enjoyed the part. I just was fear for my life for the most of it, um, which is crazy because I've jumped in the water many times with a life jacket just to be like, okay, I know I'll live just to train my mind because I've drowned a couple of times now, um, not dying. Like I drowned enough to pass out and then that to bring me back to life, like whatever. Um, or consciousness, I guess. My heart didn't stop, so I wasn't technically dead. Mm -hmm. I just passed out because there was water in my lungs. Um, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a thing that fears you to no end if you've never learned how to swim as a kid. Right, yeah. So as an adult, it's a constant struggle for me trying to learn how to swim and then being afraid of it and then trying again. And then every year, I get a little bit better. So by the time I retire, maybe I'll be able to float. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the goals, right? Yeah. That's what or I'll just get that's most people's incredibly overweight. Is by the time I retire, I would like to not sink anymore. Yeah. It, either way, like I'd either like to like float in water, or be rich enough that I can do it in a pool of money, like my boy McScrooge. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> swimming around. So, just swimming around in all the dollars. And Canadian dollars are much nicer than U.S. dollars. And they're waterproof, so I could literally fill a water pool <laughs> with Canadian dollars and do that if I wanted to. It's within the realm of possibility. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just need to be rich enough. So, yeah, tell your friends about this podcast, please, guys. <laughs> we don't have dollar bills, so the smallest you could do is five. 
That's yeah, that's true. Don't throw toonies at me. <laughs> <laughs> they're much heavier than loonies. Uh, or at least they, you feel the impact more because they're perfectly circular than loonies, which have a little dents. Um, anyways, this is not a coin show. This <laughs> what? is a dev show. I thought this show's at Rocket League. <laughs> well, because if you take all these little coins and like put them together, they're really well connected, like a bunch of little services. Oh boy! All right, what was your last? <laughs> what was your last thing? Uh, my last thing is there's a fair going on in Vancouver uh, at the PNE, which is our playground. It's the place you go for all the rides and stuff. But they also have a little fair going on right now, which was extremely cool. Which uh, They had a fire show at the end, which is worth the entire admission. Like, you could skip all of the things that happen throughout the day. They're not that... They're okay. Um, but the fire show is, is cool as heck. It's lit. And it's just 15 bucks for, like, multiple shows. It is lit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also a dog show, which is also pretty awesome. They're called Super Dogs, and they do all sorts of tricks and jumps. And, yeah. Apparently, it takes about three years to make a... to train a super dog. Yeah. Um, but it didn't make up super high on my list of things I liked because every time I saw this dog do this trick, run around, and I'm clapping, my my brain is just like, why is this making me so happy? These poor dogs have like been turned from wolves into these pathetic creatures who are jumping over hoops so that a crowd full of people can just be like, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I got constantly depressed every time I was happy looking at them. Maybe if they were in a little pan, or maybe if they were... I'm sure they're cared for, because the, the trainer seemed pretty happy, and they seemed pretty ch chummy with each other. Um, but it's just constant work. Um, yeah, I just... It just felt bad. I was just like, this is not this is not your life. Like, at least people in circus know what they're doing. That's their goal. They chose to jump through rings or whatever. These dogs didn't do anything. They, they're, they're happy because all dogs are happy, but <laughs> should they be doing that? Anyways, uh, Depending that, that turned into a less wholesome thought, yeah, but... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going yeah. to add more commentary, and then I went, that's not the show, and I don't know anything about dogs. <laughs> Yet. One day. One day. One that's day. how I'm expanding my Wait. career. Go from senior developer to dog expert. That sounds pretty great. And you know why? Because of K9s, which is used to manage K8s, which is used in microservices. <laughs> Whoa. Got crazy, em. crazy. <laughs> I did not see that coming whatsoever. Yeah. That's what we're talking but... about today. So do you want to tell us about microservices? <laughs> Um, well, okay, as the name suggests, there are services that are micro. So what is a service then? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I don't know how to make a service micro. Oh, well, what you do is you start off by going to your leadership and just be like, we're going we're gonna to make everything a microservice. And they're like, I've heard that word. And then they shake their hands. Yeah, exactly. And they're just like, here's a bunch of money. Go do it. Okay. And then you do it, and then you're like, I've created a ton of different problems now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we need more engineers to fix this. 
and then you hire a bunch of engineers and then you're like our hiring policy and in retention just increased tenfold and then the company looks good in the world but your tech stack is a nightmare and you can't sleep at night this is very relatable wow uh, so which <laughs> yes. part of that was the service <laughs> in normal people terms sure. or in in actual world yeah. uh, when i'm not being sarcastic uh, microservices are just a way of organizing your infrastructure. So a service could be anything. A service could just be the front end app you build, a little database, uh, an API that responds to a hello world API where you just hit slash hello and it responds with this API is useless. And if you want to host that, um, so each service generally will be built or be distinguished by either a technological problem they're solving, a business use case, or whatever team they're working on. And in traditional world, what you would do is you would couple all your backend, frontend database into one giant code repository and host it on one giant server because that's how things used to work. And as we've gotten better at life and things, uh, we've identified each one of these services could live on their own little code base distinction and we can then deploy them in a so that's what microservices are basically a bunch of little services achieving a specific goal or addressing a business unit or a need uh, away from other units of code that don't need to be coupled together where is where most of the problems arise when people try to decouple them badly. Right. Uh, but we'll touch on that later on. Right. So did, did I miss anything? Well, I'll just put it in super basic layman's terms for a second because you skipped over a okay. little part of it, which is if you have an application and it's becoming big, the micro part of microservices is just taking a piece of that that seems to be able to do its own thing and putting that off on its own. So that, that'll be usually in its own repository, also deployed on its own, uh, managed on its own, sometimes by its own team, written in its own language sometimes, doesn't really matter. Point is, you had a big application and you've split one or more parts off of that into their separate services, but they're self-contained. That's a, a big important part, um, that their own unit of the application. And yeah, yeah. Let's say there was some app written in the 90s where anytime you finished an action or finished your workday, at the end of the workday, it just gave you a little form saying, How would you describe your workday today? And there was a little survey, but it all lived in the same code base. It all did the same thing. And then a new technical director comes in and says, You know what we should do is turn this survey or feedback service that we have into its own little component because our main app is already too big and this doesn't need to be a part of this. And so you break it off into a little feedback service which is self-maintained and then you hire a small, are you, that's the service you give to all your interns to manage because frankly no, no company has ever listened to feedback very well. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they can torch the database a few times, it won't. They, exactly, yeah. Work. They'll just be like, oh no, we lost all the employee satisfaction surveys. How many records are deleted? Five. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah, this is just, yeah, I guess a very simple example of how you can start thinking or decoupling services. Yeah, and once you've got the service split out, Something that's more general can often then be used across applications or different parts 
different services within that application. So as I've mentioned on previous episodes, we have a logging service. And so all of the event logs are posted to that one service and it ingests them, sticks them into um, Elasticsearch, manages the indices and everything all on its own. So none of the other services know how it works. They just know this is where I send the logs and this is where I get the logs when I want them. And then it takes care of uh, filtering by relevant logs for each service, filtering by account, filtering by type if the parameters were passed in saying give me this type of log. So it handles all of the log related logic yet multiple applications or services can talk to it. And so it consolidates a lot of the concerns that you might end up with where you have like code duplication across different parts of the application. Maybe you're trying to keep certain concerns consistent. So like if we were interacting with Elasticsearch three different, in three different places, it's inevitable we end up interacting with it in three different ways. So having it all in one code base makes it at least consistent to that place. Like you can't, we won't have, it's less likely we'll have really divergent patterns, even if it's a bad one, as long as it's one and everybody knows how it works, that's a, a, good, a good place to have it. A count of one is a, is a good count to have with respect to implementation details. Um, but yes, microservices, why again, might someone choose, now that they know what the microservices generally are, why might they choose to use microservices? Um, well, there's lots of really great reasons. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, they, the biggest one is they're looking at an application. Uh, it has 40 different folders, and they're just really annoyed. They're like, this takes too long to build. The payment service uh, doesn't need to be here with the front-end service next to the feedback folder. And all of these different folders are just taking up space, and now the team needs complete global context. And this is really annoying because now different, now there's like one Git repo and 60 people are pushing to it. And that's causing conflicts, that's causing annoyances. And anytime there's a little change to the styling on the CSS, we have to redeploy our current like full pipeline and the payments and the backend and the database. And that's bad. Yeah, that was the one that kind of caught me off guard as how much of a benefit that was. Because I hadn't had the chance to work with a application that actually took multiple, like many, many minutes to deploy. Uh, and so being able to go from, all right, this, this largest service that we have takes seven minutes to deploy from the point of like building and uh, like pulling the images, getting them deployed, getting everything stood up, doing the rollout, uh, all of that, seven minutes. I'm just thinking about the fact that all of these other services, they take maybe a minute or two. If all of these services were together, I'm only imagining how long this would take for everything. And we're starting to see that with the feature branches I've been mentioning. Uh, it's like, all right, check back in 10, 15 minutes. Hopefully we'll all be standing up. And we haven't even finished every service yet. So being able to know that when we're pushing out a release, these are the three services going out and everybody goes, good, they're small services, nice. It's gonna be quick. Uh, there's a much smaller scope of potential issues. That is one that I underestimated how beneficial it would be, just the deployment rollout process. Yeah, I mean, from what I know, the last team you were on, 
um, this awesome DevOps guy built that, where you know anytime front-end change was made, that was the only one isolated. Wow. And he was a thinker, that guy. If, he he really put effort into that <laughs> thing, you know, and just was never recognized. Now that's a lie. Everybody loved me. Uh, anyways, moving forward. Uh, yes, but that's the the biggest one because not only does that in, increase and makes time worse for the devs, it's not a good customer experience. If I want to update or make smaller changes to how styling works on my site, I don't want to have to like shut down payments or anything else. Payments is the one that keeps coming to my head because that's the most impactful on these things. And one of the things I know, like bigger, not even bigger, mid like large sized to mid companies that I've been doing is breaking off these components into different things. Now, obviously we won't talk about like Netflix and Amazon kind of people who are doing Lord only knows how many multi thousand microservices. Um, but even for smaller scale deployments and companies, uh, yeah, both excellent benefits from the customer side and the developer side and the the cost returns are amazing at least from the developer side of things uh, if not you know you're also if your site is very heavy traffic heavy and you just want to experiment with a b testing without having to shut down or put in a maintenance window um yeah it could save you lots and lots of dollars speaking of that i'd say the the biggest obvious improvement with having things in different services is being able to uh, scale up or down individual parts of the system. So if everything's in one app and you need to increase the resources, you essentially either need to decide this is a permanent decision and we will now vertically scale and put this on more powerful hardware, or you need to split up your application so that it can use multiple replicas. But then you have multiple replicas of the entire application running which that's really heavy. So again, if we went with payments, maybe you're having a big sale. That's the only mm -hmm. thing that's getting hit. Just this one endpoint for payments is just getting pummeled. And you're like, well, guess we'll also increase the survey resources. And it's like, that's not, nobody's using those. Uh, but you have to then support it because your application is just in one big, if it's containerized, one big image, and it just has to be scaled up all at once. Whereas if that was split off, you could say, you know, we're going to dynamically scale up the payment service by two replicas every time it hits this number of, or this percentage of CPU utilization or something like that. And it'll just scale up and up and up and the rest of the services continue operating in their, you know, if it's the, the survey one, the uh, worker feedback thing, it's like probably got one replica. Uh, it's just sitting there not doing its thing. Um, not using any resources, probably on a T2 micro, and nobody needs to worry about paying for it versus if you had to scale everything at once. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that the cost is ends up becoming a huge factor because, yeah, you your front end code can live on a little nginx container with barely any resources, but your back end, especially if it's Java based. Is gonna need a whole lot of RAM, <laughs> and you you don't want to you know miss miss out on that opportunity or mess up your server configuration 
and having microservices as an architecture, uh, different patterns, um, also allows you to think of things in a decoupled way. So if your front end is huge, um, you can have a complete team just working on the front end, doing their things, unaffecting everybody else. And then they don't have to be like, whoa, why isn't my deploy going through? Oh, because somebody just pushed a database change. So now we have to wait. Um, and yeah, less merge conflicts. Um, I, I should mention like m microservices doesn't necessarily mean all your code is just divided into its little repositories. It generally begins from the deployment stage. So you could start off with a giant monolith, but you start off by deploying it into different areas so that you can cut down on cost or whatever. And then you start separating out the infrastructure and the code um, so that it's easier to maintain and work on. Uh, whatever pattern you follow is up to you. There's so many out there, um, but yeah, but it, don't think of it this way of, okay, I have six little Git repositories, but they all run things on the same server. Uh, so I'm still on a microservices. It's six different containers <laughs> on the same machine. Uh, that's, that's not how it should be. Right. Yeah. And based on something you said there, if you have different teams working on different services, like if a service is big enough that it warrants its own team, it's a really good way of helping to avoid backwards compatibility issues when, so like if, a, if one service depends on another and the same developer is in charge of both services, this is a problem that I have a, my, on my team a lot. It's very easy for that dev to go in, make cha both changes at the same time without thinking about the fact that if this was not say feature flag correctly or rolled out in a different order than what they expect, one is going to then start throwing like 500s because it's trying to hit this other service that doesn't provide that functionality yet because it hasn't been deployed. So if the teams are fairly siloed, which is usually a bad thing, in this case, kind of a good thing because they're not counting on an implementation of something that hasn't been provided to them yet because they consume that other service, they don't control it. And uh, again, just a nice way of separating concerns when possible, because these are the types of problems that you don't have when everything's in one place, because everything updates all at once. Uh, unless it doesn't, which actually is a thing that people don't seem to realize in general. There's like, you know, caching on the front end and uh, Browsers will do things like not do DNS lookups anymore if it doesn't have to, like skip a bunch of steps. And so if you've got rolling deployments, you might be having these issues even if you have a monolith application and not even realize it. Yeah, yeah, and then that just becomes more and more fun. More fun, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a great debugging challenge, you know? You, you're trying to your backend app is constantly crashing and it's restarting the container, but since your backend and frontend runs on the same container, you get a little window to debug the frontend before the backend crashes it and then you've <laughs> lost the logs. Uh, and it's just a timed event at the time. It's X Games. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if you're not into that kind of things, if you don't want additional stress, uh, you may want to consider breaking it off. Yeah, so one other service or one other benefit we didn't mention yet of microservices, I think I kind of alluded to it, was you can write the application that makes the most sense for that concern. So maybe the rest of your, sort of like how we have 
uh, on my team right now, almost all of our APIs are Django APIs. And then for this feature-based development uh, environment service, it really just needed to process one webhook and write, like use the Pi GitHub client, and that was pretty much it. So Django was a bit much, so I just made a Flask app, but it was still Python because everybody's used to writing in Python. Whereas something that perhaps needs more concurrency or performance concerns, we write it in Go. And so we'll have two, three if you count TypeScript uh, for the front end as well, uh, languages across our services, but you, we still give some thought to which language you're going to use. It doesn't all have to be one language or the other. And because it's self-contained, it doesn't feel as confusing. It's not like you open up a random folder in one project and suddenly you're looking at Go, whereas you go up a directory and it's all Python. You're like, how did I get here? So it does feel at least like its own thing. And uh, it helps. Yeah. Uh, on that note, um, one of the great things it provides uh, on that is testing. You, if, if the code is separated with the separated concerns, you can write more detail, more focused uh, unit tests and integration tests, and then your functional tests could be its own little monorep or like repository, a little microservice that connects to all the different services out there instead of all your tests in one place, you're trying to figure out what connects to what, how is it different, why are we using the same factory across seven different components, <laughs> you know, and inevitably you will probably have some duplicated code between repositories. But the fact that you don't have to think about the duplication, because if you're only looking at one, you don't need the context from another, uh, will save so much time on the testing and executing those test suites the overhead of instantiating a test suite just because you have a million tests and data being generated um, is huge and huge. you don't want it. Indeed. Everyone agrees. <laughs> Every <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have any other pros? Uh, um, independently deployable, easily updatable code, testing. Um, no, and then... Yeah, now I have just lots and lots of bats. Heck yeah, this is the part I've been waiting for. <laughs> so yeah, microservices, for all the reasons we just mentioned, people like them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that come with that that are a real pain in, a lot. Real pain in the butt. Uh, yeah. So generally speaking, right off the bat, it just makes everything a pain. Everything's more complex. Deployments are more of a pain. Development's more of a pain. Uh, Onboarding people is more of a pain because then they have to get all the services running on their machine in order to develop on one service. So they think they just need to build the front end, but really they need to build these seven other services that power the front end. And then if they want to go to this other part of the front end that's powered by a different service, they need to power. They need to spin that service up. Oh, but don't forget to register it with the internal proxy service. Otherwise, it won't work. So complexity just jumps exponentially as soon as you introduce microservices generally speaking what's your first point uh yeah the that's a great one and that's why the rule number one i have written on rule number one for building microservices is you don't need to build microservices <laughs> if you if you can constantly fight against the urge of why you're building it and still come up with good reasons then you can go ahead 
But if you're building it because you think it's a magic thing that's going to fix and make all your tech things much better, that's a no. It's not, it's not going to do that. If you're doing it because you heard the word and you think microservices are cool, um, don't do it. It's just not that good. If your application or l workspace is not big enough, if, it's, if you're in a micro company, you don't need microservices. Uh, <laughs> get it out, get it working. <laughs> then you can break it off. Um, and yeah, won't solve your problems. Don't focus on your microservices because of the tech. Think of it more as a pattern. Don't just think because I will have three different Go services using gRPC talking really quickly between them because they're all microservices and you forgot to address the why on the business case or the unit of the functionality, uh, you're just gonna create a whole bunch of problems for yourself. And I would like to emphasize the whole bunch. Um, yeah. And yeah, just remember you're on Netflix. They did it because they need it. You're like, I don't know. Jim's. Video Shack? Yeah. Radio yeah. Shack? Yeah, Radio yeah. Shack. <laughs> Circuit City. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so don't do that. And there is a, there is such a thing as too many microservices. So unless you're at that scale, uh, you don't need it. Don't worry about it. Don't try to break it off into many things unless that like explicitly fulfills a business need. Like you could, sure, have a payment service where if it's a credit card, there's a different API and service that handles it because of whatever reason you've thought up in your head. Um, but you maybe don't do that. Um, you know, in, in a scenario, it might seem like a good idea to just couple the payments and checkout process into one. And if your store is only getting like hundreds of users a month, maybe that's not a terribly bad thing. Architecturally, sure, it's kind of code smelly. But if you're not huge, just stick with that. The amount of development time to maintain things across definitely increases. It's just it saves time on individual effort and contributions and the mental model and complexity you need to maintain. So for your leadership and people above, things will look good. They'll be like, okay, the service talks to that and we're good. But as a developer, you'll be in pain if you're managing three different services. Just make sure one service is big enough that it pays your bills and you can just work on that and you'll be happy and your team will be happy. Yeah, yeah, I'd say don't try to avoid speculating on what's going to make for a good service. Uh, you can probably determine once, you, once you're far enough in, like if you've gotten to the point where you have scale, you have maybe three services, it might be more obvious to you at a point like that where you go, all right, this might be a suitable next service. But if you're about to make your first so-called microservice, it's more likely that you should keep that in your project for now, keep everything the same, build that out, see if people even like that thing you made. And if they start using it enough and if it grows sufficiently, put it sort of like you were mentioning, put it in its own folder in your project don't reach outside of that folder. That way you can kind of just take it out and make it its own thing if you want at any point. Uh, it's not depending on a bunch of internal stuff. 
that at least makes puts you in a situation where you can make that decision later. And pushing it in general, I'm just finding that no matter what the the question is with software developing, it seems to be push that as late as you can to make the actual decision. And that tends to be better because you have more information at that point. And you're probably not good at predicting the future, which is one of the benefits of not having microservices is that you didn't predict that this was going to be a self-contained unit only to find out it can't do anything without talking to four other services just to do, just to process one request, uh, which unfortunately has happened. Uh, in services that I'm currently working on. <laughs> yeah, and it will continue to happen. It, uh, <laughs> not just at yours. It's it's a universal thing where they go too far because they, because it looks good, right? You're you're decoupling services. It's like when you create too many helper functions. The and it's not that helpful. It's such a it's such a nice experience until you hit one of those issues because it's fun to work on a small project. It builds quick, the tests run quickly, there's not much to think about, it feels like you've got it all under control, and then as soon as you realize that you're brushing up against the edges of its functionality and it needs to request to service A and service B and service C just to get enough collective information because they don't share a database schema, it needs to then aggregate all that just to figure out what it needs to do. You're like I made mistakes along the way. And now this seemingly simple service knows how to do so little because it is so dumb that it's useless. <laughs> uh, and it really, we really don't want that. It's essentially at that point just a function, an, aggreg an yeah. aggregation function. It's, it's a MapReduce for your own services. Yeah. And at that point, you just turn it into a Lambda. On AWS. Serverless. Who needs services serverless. if you can just be serverless? <laughs> yeah. Infinitely scale, as long as you pay. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to host your serverless application on this EC2? <laughs> exactly. <It> works great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then one of the big things I wanted to mention was if you are trying to build out um, microservices because you're from like you have the business perspective or you're from the development side doing the coding and you're like, okay, I can break out this repo, things will be good. Um, definitely involve an ops person. Uh, I've, I've felt this personally, uh, where something was trying to be broken off into a whole bunch of microservices without the consultation of a DevOps person who was gonna host and manage it. Uh, and they just went by, you know, however business cases they thought was good enough to break things off um, without thinking of the communication between those applications and how they sh have shared state of data and how they need to communicate between them, not even just like one direction, bi-directionally. And it's just bad. So yeah, always always involved because it's it's it is a hot buzzword in the devops industry which has made its way completely to the tech industry as a whole but don't forget involve the ops people they're your friends they're there to help they're always snarky i was and a gonna say dickish. they're probably not your friends <laughs> they but they you don't want them to be your enemies all right they're not your <laughs> friends but you don't want to get on their bad side yeah that's true all right <laughs> I, i'm sold on that <laughs> 
Yeah, so make sure you involve them and get the perspective because how these apps are going to live and communicate is just as important as the code distinction. Yes, yeah, and so I've been learning a lot about that just in the last couple of weeks because I've been I've been doing the YAML doctoring, which I haven't done a lot of in my in my career, but I've been trying to push into this for a while, so it's been a good opportunity to finally do some of it. And you definitely, there's a lot of tools now that make these easier, things easier than they used to be, so I'm told. And I can tell by the level of abstraction I'm working with that this was not the first pass at solving these problems, because I'm just writing, you know, deployment.yaml and then writing out a couple dozen lines of YAML and then sending it out to a service that automatically deploys all this based on my ECR repo, having the images that I said would be there in it. And that's a lot of magic, but every time you add a new service, all that magic has to keep working and all the infrastructure has to keep talking to, to, itself, to one another. And yeah, as you said, if you don't have someone who actually knows what they're doing involved, you're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way that should be avoided and that somewhat paint you into a corner if you don't know what you don't know. Like if I were making architecture decisions based on microarchitecture and being like, all right, this is what we should do, thinking strictly from a code perspective, I'm gonna miss a lot of, well, this is why you don't wanna do it that way from an infrastructure perspective. And I'm seeing just the slightest glimpse of that now. <laughs> and even just the slightest glimpse is enough to be like, all right, I will defer my wisdom to you, uh, ops people. Yeah, my favorite scenario that I came across was uh, service X was divided into service A and B. Uh, service A and B acts as the same database, but because of but on the same database cluster, they have different schemas. So they have completely different use cases. Mm -hmm. So what they did was service A and the database was in VPC one and service B was put in VPC two. So the services don't talk to each yeah. other. But guess what? <laughs> now we can't talk to the database, yeah. uh, which was not thought of because DevOps people were not involved <laughs> during the deployment and infrastructure. They're just like, it's still the VPC within our account. It should all talk to each other. It's like, no, that's not how any of this works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that was a that was a fun one, um, because as uh, as most things, VPCs are not. Mat like easily changeable on their settings. Once they're constructed, they're pretty static. And then you just have to recreate new ones and redeploy applications and figure out ACL rules and things are fun, so much fun. So yeah, involve people who know about things. They have spent their years learning the dark magic. So let them do it. Uh, I don't have any other negatives. I just have some common pitfalls or things to think about. Um, do you have any other, please don't microservice your service? I've, I think I'm mostly retreading at this point, but I'm really just saying like, there's it just makes everything so much more complicated and difficult. 
So if you can avoid it, like you said, if you still can art, give a reasonable argument about why you shouldn't do it, just don't do it. And try to plan so that you're not blocking that path should you decide to go down it in the future. But chances are you don't need it. And heed, heed that warning, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, biggest asterisk. Uh, all of this goes with the premise of you're already following good architecture and pattern practices. Uh, it would be a whole lot harder to break off your monolith into microservices if they're all just a bunch of files without any MVC or patterns being followed. So for your appropriate language and infrastructure, pick a pattern, follow it, because it'll be much easier to break it off later on than if you were sort of cowboy coding it, thinking, oh, I'll break it off later. Uh, that is going to make your life hell and you do not want that. Code duplication with patterns is better than code isolation with no patterns, because that would, yeah. Honestly, at that point, good luck. At that point, you just duplicate your repo and set a feature flag of turn front end on on this application <laughs> and turn front end off on the other, <laughs> because that's what I've seen, <laughs> and it's not pretty. So yeah, it just goes without saying, even before you do microservices or whatever, when you're building your apps, follow proper patterns, um, because that's how the industry is built. We do things, we saying it's the greatest thing until a new thing comes, and then we write documentation on how to convert the last best thing to the next best thing. Yeah, repeat every 15 years. Yeah, whether it's new pattern, new new, or old, it's, it's all the, the same. Big circle. Uh, and if you are planning on splitting up your data models that are currently sharing a database. Maybe don't foreign key everything and then expose a different key via the API because then nothing knows how to find those things when you actually split your database. Just saying it could happen theoretically. Theoretically. Not, yeah, we may or may not have seen this before, <laughs> uh, but just look out for it. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is my very first point on things to look out for and common pitfalls. Okay, let's hear them. Uh, databases and shared state. So caching between services, who accesses caches, who updates them. Um, if different services are using the same caching servers even, uh, make sure your keys are unique or things are different because Redis, unless you can divide things up, it's pretty much no, everybody just uses the default Redis schema. Um, so if service A and B are both writing to it and somehow your keys naming overlaps, you're just going to be constantly overwriting data between the services and the state won't be known. Um, so little things like that, because, you know, maybe you've divided your services, but you're just like, well, they can still use the same giant Redis server we host. And you would be correct so long you name your keys properly. Um, same with databases, the VPC example I just gave. If you're doing that, think of the, of the implications where now with two services, you may need two databases. Two highly available databases means twice the cost, and databases are expensive to host and run. So if you are dividing things up, think about how it's going to affect your infrastructure. Maybe you just want to keep one and just share the, have different schemas have them differently sharded because of whatever service is accessing it, that's going to add a huge layer of complexity uh, that you're going to have to be ready for. 
or it's just going to not be pretty especially if you're sharing um yeah especially if you're sharing like data models and data models have relationships and if you try to move off relationships to a different schema <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's just not fun you know just not very fun you're opting into a bad time you are and you'll just come out of it saying that was not a good time and then you'll make a podcast about it exactly <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and the same same thing goes for caching not only just overriding different keys uh if you have cleanups if you have uh data figuring out um different rule sets on how you're setting expiry on keys and how you're managing deployments for these shared services because if service A is writing to your Redis server while you're deploying or refreshing your Redis server, you may corrupt data from service B or service A without knowing about it. Uh, so having those things in communication, having the communication between services so that if a common service or service A and B, let's say, communicate with each other or service A and B talks to C uh, and service B goes down, you want some sort of circuit breaker pattern or something in there to say, okay, something's going down, I need to take care of it, I need to have the appropriate uh, communication, whereas if it all was in one space, you wouldn't have to worry about it all that much. Um, yeah, so that's a pretty big one, because if you have 20 containers running and not a lot of monitoring or on-page call people, uh, something will die eventually, it has to. And it's going to be a very hard time trying to debug and figuring out which service is exactly crashing if there's no circuit breaking. If service one can crash seven other services, uh, you'll just, you know, as the kids say, not be having a good time. Again. Again. <laughs> just there's the, there's a lot of opportunities for having bad times <laughs> if you're not good about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, I have one for, yeah, inter-service communication. So if you have a lot of microservices, um, figure out what's the best way they're gonna talk because network lag is very real and you may not need to implement extra queues or think about how you're going to talk between them. Maybe since it's not a public API, you wanna use something like gRPC, which were meant for microservices and smaller services to talk to each other really quickly. Uh, again, added code complexity and issues. Uh, it's not as easy as just sending data over the channel or having a shared instance that you can read from. So very much look out for that. And security. Now that you have seven different services. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to mention that you also don't necessarily need to be ex consuming and exposing your public APIs. Like if these services have public APIs, it's not like your other services need to hop along the internet to hit that a public API endpoint, you can do internal endpoints that then use the uh, shared network. So your network lag is at least a lot less than if you're, you know, it might seem like a good idea to consume it because that's what your customers, if it's also public facing, are, are using. Um, but you'll pay a performance cost, so it's probably not the move. Yeah, and not just performance, like proper costs. Right data going in, coming in, caching, going through your Route 53 CloudFront servers. Yeah, I was going to I was uh, going to say if I know Amazon charges you a lot more for going over the internet versus uh internal, especially if it's 
not you know crossing into different uh, availability zones or something like that. Exactly. Uh, and yeah, if you use internal IPs, internal information, yeah, the performance cost is crazy. If you, if let's say you have one giant Kubernetes cluster, it would make so much sense to just use the internal because there's a very good chance your two containers are running on the same physical host and they could just talk with the local host network card really quick uh, as opposed to doing yeah, a whole whole lot of talking and going over the internet which again could cause some problems with DNS caching and figuring out if the IP address is gonna get resolved if something else is going on new and if you're if you're not in ops even if you're in ops network issues are the worst you don't want them um, they're so hard to debug and they change constantly <laughs> so just this sounds like it sounds I, like my experience I, with CSS but very different <laughs> it's the same oh, okay. I feel defeated and I can do it I understand them but I don't like doing them <laughs> got it yeah yeah and every time I do it, I'm just like, this This. This is wrong. It shouldn't be this way. But it's so powerful that I can't live without it. So, yeah, it's networking is just CSS. <laughs> uh, so figure it out. Um, but, yeah, the on, on point of, like, even the public-private API endpoints, uh, security is very important. You might think it's okay to just, like, expose the public IP address of... Uh, random application because there's no web server running on it but people do port scans something can come in and if a private service has access to your database that could be bad uh, all they need is ssh22 access and they're good they're your database nothing is pub private anymore it's all public and anonymous is laughing at you now or uh, just some yeah, guy so or just some guy yeah some paul is sitting on his computer, he's he's 12 and he's in his high school, and but he's really smart, uh, and he figured it out. And now everybody knows um, when Deborah's birthday is at your company, you know, and you don't want that because Deborah is a private person. Yeah, she's been hiding this yeah. for years. <laughs> years, years and years. Uh, she sued the company for celebrating her birthday, you know. Um, but yeah, and then on other points of security, token communication between your little services. So if one of your microservices does get hijacked or something bad happens to it, uh, you don't want it to spread out to the other servers or have it access different services. So you want some sort of token-based authorization between them so the services can identify themselves that they're good. Uh, again, it'll make your life a whole lot easier if most things were just in a private subnet so that nothing can access it and you still want some layer of security because people click on attachments and emails. It's 2021, but it still happens. And that's going to spread viruses, and it's bad. Yeah, and then the final thing I have is look out for log collection and centralizing them. If you have six different pods of your application running and something goes wrong in one of them or two of them, uh, if you're not collecting all those logs in a centralized place or whatever works best for your organization and your deployment needs, uh, you may have a very hard time tracking uh, where the problem is happening. Abuse tags. When, anytime, not even just microservices. Anytime you have services and things, tag the hell out of things because it will help you so much. 
it's never a bad thing to filter too much. And yeah, if you have like a central Elasticsearch or APM or somewhere, um, it's good to send all those logs, then keeping all these logs locally on these machines and then just randomly finding out server number three died and then you have to SSH into it and manually look at things. Um, whatever your logging solutions are, maybe it worked better when you had a big one machine. Um, but yeah, centralizing it and having properly tagged resources and hosts so you know where things are happening and the more information you have you can probably isolate if it's a certain infrastructure or a certain kind of processor that your application doesn't play well with um, yeah so that's the big one to look out for because uh, we realized an application I was running at my at EA uh, didn't play well with like C type instances but on M type and other instances it was much better even though it was a CPU heavy app and C type instances are made for CPUs, something about the architecture, it just didn't like it. Um, and I'm not expert enough to know why that was <laughs> happening. I just told people, this is the results. It's running on M instances. It's doing good from those things I can see and go figure it out. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, and that wouldn't have been possible if I didn't tag it with the host. You know, if it just had the service and everything, or even just the IP address, that would have been hard to track down because they weren't static IP addresses um, and things change and then you're sad. So my takeaway is always use microservices and don't worry about it. 100%. Sweet. 100%. Right you are Netflix. If you don't have that manifestation <laughs> mindset of I am a billion dollar company, how will you ever get there? Well, they, you know, people say they wake up in the morning feeling like a million bucks. I wake up feeling like a billion dollar company. You should. Yeah. As you should. Yeah, yeah. Perfectly balanced. Like, ah, Netflix, here <laughs> I go. Time to make six big decisions and ruin some video store company businesses. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but that's it. That's everything I thought about uh, microservices. Uh, that are hopefully helpful to somebody who's about to build some or can empathize with us after they've run into problems. <laughs> if you have, leave us a comment. Yeah, sure. Do it. That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, I don't have anything else. I'm sure I do, but mostly I just wanted to uh, highlight the, the pros that everybody talks about and then run through all the issues we've had. And I think we've done that. 10 out of 10. Now that we've done this, what did you do better? Nailed it. And what are you going to do better? All right, all right, all right. So that one time we publicly discussed whether or not me meeting up with a girl was a date or not. Mm. And so I've been doubting myself ever since. But this time was definitely not a date. So there's no question. Uh, okay. I just met up with her. Uh, she's new to the area, needs to meet people. We discussed that ahead of time. Just we needed somebody to hang out with, as did I. So we just went for a walk. Uh, but that was good. I did that. I'm still trying to talk to people. I bought two new pairs of overpriced underwear. So the, the collection crazy. is growing. How, mu how many are in a pair? We went through this. A pair is one. Then how is it a pair? It's, it's, what they, it's like a pair of pants. Pants is just one. Oh my god, you're right. 
I'll never get used to English. Every time I feel like I've mastered the language. <laughs> the fact that the fact that data is is plural, it also messes with me. Every time somebody says the data are what the data are, I'm just like, ugh. Why does it have to be that way? Um, n n no. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Dagum. Dagum is the is, data is data are a thing. Data are is the correct quote-unquote correct way. Datum is singular. Datum is singular. Yeah. Is this why Latin is dead? Probably. Because <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> okay. it should be the opposite. But no, I listen to a bunch yeah. of, of uh, nerdy people on podcasts. And all you can always tell who's the proper nerd because they're the ones that say data are. The data are, there are some good data coming out about this. I'm just like, oh. it's. I know it's correct, but it sounds so wrong. Anyway. Pairs, mm -hmm. pairs of underwear. Uh, I booked my time off for work for doing some sort of hike trip of some sort, but I am yeah. Uh, my goal was originally to finalize hiking plans, and I have come across various logistics issues that have made me go, I don't know what I'm doing. So I still need to do that. That's a do better. Sort out these, because um, as it turns out, if you want to rent a car, you just can't. Uh, it's just not available. <laughs> they just say, sorry, there's none. Uh, so that was a surprise. So mm -hmm. now I'm not sure what I'm doing because my backup plan was, all right, I'll just rent a car and drive to Strathcona Park and then just disappear for a week and then come back out. But now I'm like, do I need to like ask somebody to just drop me off in Strathcona? And then how do I get home? Do I try to make a friend and be like, maybe you can drive me home? Like, I don't know what I'm doing because I can't get a car. So... I'll sort this out because I wanted to go to the Sunshine Coast Trail and that's a real pain to get to it turns out and I also need to rent a car for that to get to the ferry so I can get from the ferry to Powell River from Powell River somehow without a car I get to Lund and then from Lund I need to get up to uh, Desolation Sound which apparently I can do by asking a guy to drive me on a boat over there it's been a mess I don't like doing logistics and this has been a difficult series of, of reading of articles. But anyway, I need to sort that out so I don't just waste my week off. Um, and I don't need to get some more clothes. So I got rid of some more stuff. Uh, some gym clothes that I knew I should get rid of because uh, I keep stuff for way too long. So I'm gonna have to replace those. And that'll be not this week's do better because I just spent a bunch of money on underwear. But at some point in the next month, I need to buy some more gym clothes. So yeah, keep uh, keep trying to get another date. And I'm going to try to pick out some workout clothes or a fall jacket because I need both of those. Pick one out, not necessarily purchase. We'll see. And hiking plans. That's pretty much it. And go kayaking. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go kayaking on Sunday. Because um, it was definitely canceled. Yeah. <laughs> nah, man. Whatever floats your boat, you know. That's right. So what about you? Uh, well, the things I said was I will do better on getting some physiotherapy. Okay. Uh, so I've been getting some. Oh, good. You know, easy goal to achieve. <laughs> you make an appointment, and then they fine you if you don't show uh -huh. up. So you, you show up. Because mm. you'd rather pay and get stabbed uh, with a needle. Uh, then not show up and get stabbed with a fine. I suppose. Um, 
I suppose, yeah. It's it's preferable because the needles make you feel better, apparently. Uh, I mean, I do feel better. Um, and so I'm going to go again because I would like to continue feeling better. Feeling better sounds good. Uh, yeah, and then another one was I want to be outside more. Mm -hmm because summer is ending. I already have to wear a hoodie when I bike to the gym because it's windy, cold winds. Um, and I hate this. I, I need my summer. Um, so yeah, I took a, took a little bit of that on the weekend, went, went to the beautiful fair mm -hmm. um, and kayaked on Thursday, which was nice. Uh, so gonna continue doing that. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing this weekend yet, but one of the days is a hike and I'll figure that out. Uh, so yeah, on the do better, continue doing that, continuing with the social. Now I'm thinking September will be a 30 for 30. I currently have 14. So every day I will be posting something on our social media, a do better account. Oh, wow. Uh, so I'm thinking of different types of content. I'm also like thinking of different types for different days, but like Wednesday would be a different one or something. Okay. Uh, so far I don't have enough for 30 days. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm hoping by the end of the month, I've created enough things to have that. Are we going from no posts to a post every day and then no posts again? I hope not. I'm hoping okay. a post every day uh, gets enough engagement going on my head and enough in the thing that I start doing that. And then once I have the 30, even if I'm 10 days into September, we already have the 20 day next content, so I could post like 10 more. And it's like how the, you know, having a little backlog of things and then it's easy to engage into that uh, than doing this. Or maybe I'll have one of the weekends again where I have nothing to do and then I'll schedule another few ones. It's easier to do the 30 right now because we have so many episodes from the past that I haven't posted. Right. So a good 10 of that is just the thumbnails. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then others are relevant to things we've talked about uh, and things you know, that we could share. Um, and once I get the clips part down on successfully having a good workflow of getting clips from our YouTube and pushing them as reels, uh, then we'll have infinite content. Then we'll just never run out because there will be reposts, there will be everything. <laughs> right, yes, uh, instant growth. Yeah, before the end of the year, we'll have over 400 followers. That's too many. I don't want that many people to follow. <laughs> we already have, like, I think close to 100. What? No, okay. I don't know. Maybe less than that. I haven't looked. But definitely more than 50. It's going to have, yeah, more followers than me, if that's true. But that's fine. I prune, that's I prune fine. everything all the time. So. Yeah. So long you don't unsubscribe to Do Better Def Show, you'll be good. Uh and yeah, and so I'm gonna continue with the social stuff and I'm gonna start adding bit, adding some reading back because I just haven't been doing that and I realized because I'm so, I don't have a lot of energy to do things after work or after dinner before bed, um, I'm just gonna add some reading. Even just half hour every night, I think I can reasonably hit. And I used to enjoy doing that, so I might uh, enjoy it again. So, so yeah and i've missed it cool yeah that sounds like a good week better than mine mine's just throwing a temper tantrum about logistics so hopefully <laughs> hopefully we both have better weeks than what mine sounds like 
I hope so too. Uh, yeah, because I, I may have to have some logistics nonsense myself because I'm thinking of doing something for the long weekend. Mm -hmm. um, but that's a weekend me problem. Okay. Week, week me is just going to have to focus on getting shit done. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, anybody who listened to it, I hope your microservices are as efficient as they can be. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, reach out to us. Because we're just really bored. You're not wrong. Bye. Bye.